As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by my co-host Matt Fortuna. And, you know, Matt, you came out to the spring game, but before we get into you know quarterback competitions and depth chart analysis, I want to know uh, concessions rating from your daughter who took in the spring game. And apparently she took in the whole thing based on your Instagram photo because she was asleep at the end. Um, the drama of Steve Angeli's game-winning touchdown run must have really wore her out. I, I hate to... Uh... To spoil it, she did not make it till the end. They walked around campus, oh. I think, at the end of the third quarter. Uh, and that's when she passed out. Um, she had no interest in press box hot dogs that I offered to sneak down for her. Did take a bottle of water, um, but really enjoyed the Dippin' Dots that we got to share um, while waiting in line during halftime. So she had a great time. Uh, the great Aaron Taylor got down on his knees to give her a fist pump so she can say she fist pumped a Hall of Famer. Um, and she high-fived, she high-fived the cheerleaders. And there was actually cheerleader tryouts going on at the time. And she bought, well, we bought her pom-poms uh, afterward because she got really into that. So uh, she has a Sabrina Unescu jersey. As much as I'd like her to be a, a basketball player, um, she seems much more into cheerleading right now, which is fine as well. Now, now Daddy <laughs> just needs to get a new job so we can afford to send her there if she actually could get in. Right, that's that could be a little bit of a challenge, uh, but uh, yeah, it it's funny that my kids went to the last game in that stadium, um, and your daughter was at like the first unofficial game of the Marcus Freeman era. My kids closed out the Brian Kelly era uh, against Georgia Tech last November, so uh, things have changed a little bit, uh, which I thought was kind of on display with not only the thirty three thousand seven hundred fifty four in attendance, which was the largest spring game crowd since Jimmy Clausen was a mid year enrollee, um, which is kind of wild to think because it's not a huge number, right? Like thirty three thousand is by not. The way. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, Marcus uh, doesn't uh, come up with tradition never graduates as the <laughs> official slogan of the team. I think they'll be okay, but I mean, there's definitely some a different level of enthusiasm around Notre Dame football right now. You know, what that translates to wins and record wins and losses, I don't know. But I think, yeah, you would agree just sort of walking around the stadium that it does feel a little bit different. Definitely. And yeah, 33, it's funny. Like, it doesn't seem like a lot. Like, Oklahoma had 75, right? And I know 
every school treats its spring game differently. But it was nice and refreshing to see Notre Dame embrace it as essentially a homecoming weekend. I mean, I ran into, you know, Aaron yeah. Taylor is one of them. But I ran into other, you know, letter winners um, throughout the, throughout campus, throughout the stadium, throughout the day, as I'm sure you did as well. And again, like I'm not, I don't want to sound like we're beating a dead horse and like, oh, it's a new coach. Everything's great. But like to hear some of these guys talk about the way they felt welcome back, um, and it wasn't, you know, Aaron Taylor tweeted this. It was not a shot at Brian Kelly. I think most of the guys had fine relationships with Brian Kelly, but Marcus and, and with the help of Hunter Bibbin, who, who's taken on a bigger role with that program, really made an effort to make this a big alumni weekend. Starting Thursday night, they had a huge dinner, I believe, with the team at Foley's, the, the premium club yep. in the stadium. And I didn't even know this until um, some of the players talked about it. Some of the current players talked about it afterward was, former players and current players got paired with each other and it turned into a big kind of brainstorming session and, and networking event. And, and to hear um, both sides talk about what they learned from the other was, was pretty impressive. I, I believe the final tally was 298. Uh, I was told it was in the neighborhood right. of 300 former players. And it wasn't like, Hey, let's have all our, all of our all Americans back. Like I talked to former walk-ons who were there who had a blast that weekend. And, um, you know, our friend Michael Jr. had some pretty poignant tweets about what that weekend meant for a lot of guys who just hadn't been around each other, been around their teammates since they had suited up in uniform. And, and you know, it's easy to lose touch when you go on in your own, you know, your professional lives like that after school. So I, I think that meant a lot for everyone. I think, you know, they all golfed Friday at Warren as well. Um, I, I could see this thing getting bigger you know, over the course of the next several years. And I think that's a good, good thing for Notre Dame football because, you know, there've been some not pretty headlines about a lot of these guys in the last decade or so. And there's been, you know, frankly, a big disconnect with a lot of them between what they experienced in Notre Dame and, and how they felt, you know, they were welcome back at Notre Dame in the years afterward. And this weekend was a breath of fresh air in that regard. And I'll be curious to see how that plays out over the next couple of years. And, if you can bottle up 80 degrees and sun uh, on April 23rd that helps. and only April 23rd, um, every single spring game, that will help as well. But um, it, it was cool to see. I had heard uh, this, like, a former player who played for Kelly um, was sort of at that dinner and remarked to like some current players because he's like a, like a, you know, sort of in the 18, 19, 20 era of Kelly, just like seeing Marcus Freeman around the players was just he came away thinking like, man, you guys are luck. I would want to play for a guy like this. Um, I think just the accessibility of Marcus is certainly different than what it was with Brian Kelly. And I think that you don't, I don't think that you need the head coach to be like buddy buddy with everybody who came up, but you know, to be available to shake everyone's hands to just say, hey, thanks for coming back. Like that goes a long way. Um, it, it goes a long way for the connections you you sort of reference that uh, Michael Golick tweeted about. I think it, it goes a long way for, you know, the current players as they're networking for life after football. I think it can go a long way for just raising money for the fund, the NIL uh, venture that Brady Quinn is doing. So it's, you can serve so many different purposes for something like this. And I, you know, I give credit for, to Hunter Biven for really kind of taking the initiative that was there and, and running with it and turning it into something that, clearly was meaningful for a lot of these guys. So that's, um, that was definitely probably one of the bigger takeaways about how things felt different. Um, I think the football itself, 
I'm not sure that you would come away from Saturday feeling any different about Notre Dame football. Uh, Walk as off a, touchdown, Pete. Come on. Yeah. As, <laughs> yeah. After the touchdown from Ben Yanisek in the first half. Um, the Junior Javi you know, Award winner. Uh, it definitely had that. a like, oh, they're, they could use some more guys to make plays down the field at receiver, uh, maybe tight end a little bit. Um, but I think that it, just in terms of the, the roster overall, talking to people inside the Goog, I think they feel probably better about where the defense is at the end of spring than when it started uh, and feel like this team should be – it should be good. I, I think there have been moments where you're like, all right, are they rebuilding in some areas? Are they farther away than what we thought? Or you know, can this team make a run at it? And I think they sort of come out of spring feeling like they feel good about where Tyler Buckner is. Um ankle aside and they feel like the defense especially in the secondary is is maybe ahead of where they thought uh when spring started yeah you wrote this i mean you know brandon joseph he's not going to be kyle hamilton but the guy has an all-american honor under his name from two years ago he's a really good football player he fits right in anytime you hear him speak you're impressed with just his background and his overall attitude about the change uh in climates in notre dame and um like that secondary is going to be better. Like it can't get any worse, right? At least without, you know, the second half of the season without Kyle Hamilton. So I think you come out of the spring feeling better about that. And look, the defensive line, it's, I feel like they've lacked that first round pass rushing pick that so many of the the superpowers that are in the playoff every year Mm -hmm. seem to have, but they've got some really good players on this roster up front. And it's a, going to be, I think, a deeper defensive line than a lot of us thought it would be coming into the spring. Um, Howard Cross, who wrote about a guy who really impressed the staff this spring. Riley Mills, I mean, again, what yes. can you ascertain from a spring game where you're not allowed to hit the quarterback? Riley Mills got to the backfield a lot. Um, and that's a guy, I think, who's going to be a difference maker up front this year as well. So, uh, you know, you could spin this any way you want. The defense obviously looked better than the offense when the offense only scores two touchdowns all day. Uh, you know, Drew Pine didn't have his best showing and probably, you know, want to leave a better public impression. But from my understanding, you know, it wasn't anything um, that, that dimmed his his star in the coaching staff's eyes. It was a guy who was playing both sides with two different offensive lines and had five scholarship receivers to work with. Uh, that's pretty much what you expect in, in that scenario. So, you know, football-wise, you know, I, I wrote this in my story after uh, the game. Spring games to me are like minor league baseball. When I covered minor league baseball, the, the thing that was always drilled in my head was like, Everything matters except the result. Um, this is for the fans. This is, you know, a, a fun promotional thing. And that's essentially what this past weekend was for Notre Dame. Between the alumni, the weather, no injuries, knock on wood, thank goodness, and, and a new coach and all the good vibes. Um, and, of course, a, a walk-off touchdown to, to, to decide. I mean, I, I was on the sidelines speaking to someone um, from Notre Dame's administration as that happened. And, yeah, I, with as uh, I'm sure a lot of us say, with a running clock, you kind of stop paying attention to like what's going on um, on the field. Um, and I'm chatting up and I look up on the scoreboard and see it happening and people celebrate. I look, I said, wait, was that just the game winning touchdown? <laughs> and he's like, I think so. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And we see them celebrating. So um, yeah, everyone goes home happy. It was fun. Yeah. It, uh, it gave everyone like a pretty good on field hook for their stories. So I, I appreciate uh, Steve Angeli's contribution to the year 2022, even if we don't see him on the field again <laughs> until the until spring practice next year. Got to talk um, to him, and he was impressive. Yeah. He didn't seem like an 18-year-old, yeah, that's Price. for sure. It was uh, Jadarian Price or Steve Angeli were two guys that I wrote about when they were recruits. Um, Steve Angeli, I remember writing about and asking him 
what was sort of the last thing you needed to know about Notre Dame before you committed? And he's like, I'd never talked to Brian Kelly before. So I needed to have like, I wanted to talk to the head coach before I said I was going there. He's not the um, only four star quarterback on this roster who had the exact same quote, no, quote to us. Um, no. And then I looked at my old Jadarian price story and I asked him what imp- stood out about Notre Dame. It was like how Brian Kelly is very stable and he'll be here for my entire <laughs> career. So good. I, it's, it's, you look back at these recruiting stories, nothing quite holds up over time. Um, but that's the nature of college football. We, I mean, we, these these guys should be in high school right now, and those those quotes feel about eight years old. I was saying, we give so much crap to like players for the transfer portal, and they're not sticking to their commitment. And oh, he's going to commit to Notre Dame, but three years from now, he's going to be at you know so and so state. Look at this from a couple yeah. months ago with the head coach. So so it's much wild. has changed so quickly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, that probably a good transition into Marcus Freeman was asked after the game about sort of like, you know, the next hundred days after, you know, you've been here for a few months, what's sort of the next chapter. I think the question was meant to be more about team development, uh, right. workouts, scheme, playbook. And Marcus was like, no, 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 no. It's recruiting, 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 and also recruiting. Recruiting is the most important thing. Recruiting, um, sort of. A very, it, you know, it's, it was greatest a, hits. <laughs> yeah, it's greatest hits from his opening press conference when I asked him about, you know, what style of recruiter he would be as a head coach, whether it'd be more of a CEO and sort of the overseeing the operation or more like in head coach of recruiting in the weeds. And he's like, I need to be the lead recruiter on everybody that we're on. He, I don't know if he's the lead recruiter on everybody that they're on, but the high end guys, I'm told, and I went and saw Charles Jagusa, who's like a, Four fringe five-star offensive tackle from uh, Northwest Illinois. I saw him over the weekend. I'm writing him on this week. But he said he talks to Marcus Freeman once or twice a week. Um, and I asked him, hey, who's – you know, is that the head coach you talk to the most? He's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, well, who's second? He's like, I don't know. There's nobody even close. So that's where Marcus Freeman's head is at recruiting-wise. The staff is, I believe, getting out on the road today. Um, I think one of the – the notable stops, this ties into the spring game, will be the Austin, Texas area. Wide receivers coach Chancey Stuckey, I believe, will be down there to see Jaden Greathouse, who's a four-star wide receiver who visited over the weekend, and then Braylon James, who's a four-star wide receiver who committed a couple weeks ago. Um, Notre Dame, they know the score nationally uh, where they are recruiting-wise, and I think that this month will show they will, they'll have more dividends to come I think in the next few weeks, Sam Pendleton is a four-star, three-star-ish offensive guard who committed earlier this week. Um, but 
I mean, the recruiting operation seems to be pretty dynamic. And I think this next couple months might get a little bit more noticed nationally um, that breaks outside of kind of the Notre Dame sphere. I mean, let's not beat around the bush, right? Like Dante Moore, whenever right. he makes his public announcement, and right now we feel pretty good about Notre Dame's chances, but every day he doesn't publicly announce that, that those those feelings diminish just a little bit as you see him taking pictures with Joe Burrow at LSU or going to Oregon later this month. Um, I, I thought Marcus Freeman's response, I thought the question, as you said, was not necessarily intended about recruiting, but Marcus Freeman took it there. Um, and of course, everyone ate it up. And sure enough, you know, a couple hours after that, I guess two hours after his press conference, I'm walking back to my car uh, with my wife and kid, and we're on the, the, the street opposite the Goog. And she points up and says, oh, look at all those people on that balcony there. And I think me and you joked about this off air, like never even bothered to look up at the balcony. No, I stopped a long time ago. No one was ever there. And I could only see the backs of heads, but there were a lot of heads there. And as I keep walking, I look at where they're all looking at. It's Marcus Freeman talking to all of them. Um, Two hours after the game, two hours after he said, recruiting, recruiting, recruiting is on his agenda for the next 100 days. Now, there are 129 days to be exact between now and opening kickoff against Ohio State. Um, And I'll be curious to see, you know, the the part of that question he didn't answer. Obviously, recruiting is 365 days a year. But, you know, our friend Pat Forty, who was at the game uh, for Sports Illustrated the other day, wrote a a column on him yesterday. I think he mentioned, like, Marcus's wife was like, we're going on a Disney cruise July, no questions asked. Like, you need to get out of here. Like, what – what does he not know? Because, um, you know, like Brian Kelly has, has, you know, taken some understandable grief for, you know, basically saying publicly, you know, Marcus Freeman, you know, I, it took me two years to screw up Notre Dame. What's Marcus Freeman going to so I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically said, yeah. like, it's a really hard to have that as your first head coaching job. And I mean, fundamentally, that is correct. Like Marcus Freeman's 36 years old. He doesn't know what he doesn't know. He's 0-1 as a coach, which is easy to forget, um, despite all the good vibes of this spring. How does he allocate that time? Because as much as it sounds good to say I'm the lead recruiter on every single person we're pursuing, and as much truth as there is in that statement, um, there's other stuff. There are other hires to be made in in an off-field capacity. There are other bridges to be built across different campus channels. And I'm curious, you know, as he makes the the new head coach kind of alumni club um, tour, eventually in the next couple months. What else is he doing? Who else is he meeting with? What, what do you think outside of recruiting should be first and foremost uh, on his offseason agenda? Well, I, I would meant I'd go double back to recruiting in the sense of like hiring out the recruiting staff that a candidate in, I believe yesterday to as who, who would sort of be number two in that department uh, or at least sort of like in more of a lead capacity. Um, you know, filling out the recruiting staff, if they can expand that, expand that. Uh, beyond that, I think it really is these relationships with these kids, whether it be Jaden Greathouse or Rodney Gallagher or Charles Jacusa or, you know, making sure you keep um, connections with people a, cla- a, a class away from now, whether it be Peyton Woodyard or CJ Carr. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of people to know, and he seems very adamant about he may not be the lead recruiter on every guy that they're on, but the ones where it matters, he will be. Um, so I, I, I think that's the most important. I don't think that anything is going to happen in the next couple months where 
he's going to come away. He's going to drive down a, a blind alley here and hit a dead end. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know what could happen in June that would impact what happens in Columbus on Labor Day weekend. You know what D- I mean? Don't like, say that. We've seen so yes. much stuff here, Pete. <laughs> I mean, the staff is. I can tell you where I was on Memorial Day in 2013 when I got a yeah. call saying the starting quarterback just failed out of school. <laughs> That's true. I mean, you want to make sure that, you know, Tyler Buckner's meetings with professors are all like done on the ground floor. Um, you, don't, you don't want him climbing any more steps or at least taking the elevator. But beyond that, I just think that like the program's in a pretty good spot. I don't know if there's a, you know, I, I understand what Brian Kelly's point is about like he, he did go down some blind alleys his first couple of years, regardless of how many years as a head coach experience he had, which he will remind you of at a, in every interview. <laughs> But the program is but, just but, in a different sorry, spot. So let me stop you right there. Do you know what kind of car he drives? It's a Tesla, right? I think I've read that in half dozen publications in the last. And it has the, the the fun doors that open up. Maybe wow. is that? I, I don't know. It's, he can get around the state of Louisiana pretty good in that. Maybe he'll own mm-hmm. Twitter with Elon Musk in a couple of years. Yeah, I don't know how far away the top restaurants in New New Orleans are from Baton Rouge, but I'm sure that Tesla can make it on one charge. <laughs> um, so I just. When Brian Kelly took over Notre Dame, Notre Dame was a, a hot mess. Um, right. Jack Swarbrick has used the term broken before uh, to describe where the program was in 2009 to 2010. Long way from that. Uh, the roster is so much better. And just like the strength staff, facilities, uh, just the talent on the roster is just such in a better spot than it was then. Um you know the coaching. The coaching staff is better than it was then, in terms of the assistants and the talent that they bring. I mean, I think I would take, you know, would I take Al Golden over early days Bob Diaco? Yes, um, although we love Bob Diaco and his ex, uh, idiosyncrasies. You know, would I take Tommy Reese over Charlie Molnar? Yes, I would take Tommy Reese yes. over Charlie Molnar. Um, who was his position you know, coach? Think, now that we, like, yeah. it's really weird to think about. <laughs> Harry Heaston, Ed Warner. I mean, it's just there's not. I don't think there's a whole lot of great. I'm trying to think who the, like the dynamic guys on that staff. Tony were. Alford. McCullough, Dylan McCall and Tony Alford, I think, are pretty comparable, right? Um, you know, defensively, you Chuck had Martin. Chuck Martin, who is I think outstanding. Um, you know, clearly he's been a, a Group of five head coach at Miami for a while, but. I don't think I would look back at that staff and be like, oh man, that was that was an all-time Notre Dame staff. I think Brian Kelly has had better staffs. So I think that Marcus Freeman has a really good staff right now. Um, the strength staff, all the culture in the weight room is really good. So I don't know. It's like I remember a one-on-one I had with Brian Kelly and I asked him, you know, you were hired to change Notre Dame, but after, at what point does Notre Dame sort of change you? And he went in. To, it was a. He was like, we could talk for a long time about this. But he said, you know, in those early days, I had a lot of FU moments, and that's not really a healthy way to run a program. I just don't think Marcus Freeman is going to have those moments. Um, and if he does, I think he's going to be like, okay, I understand what you're saying. I can adapt and adjust. Whereas I think Brian Kelly was like, had much more uh, inflexible opinions on what should be happening, and he has sort of had to be dragged to a different point of view. I'm not saying that his point of view was wrong, um, but I just think that. I think Marcus Freeman will be able to go with the flow a little bit when it comes to some of the, the funky stuff around Notre Dame and learning on the job. Yeah, I just think it's the sport is different in 2022 than it was in 2010. And yeah. 
you know, we, we, we mentioned the quarterbacks who said they didn't have as much of a connection with Brian Kelly while being recruited as they probably did with some other schools that were pursuing them. There's, I mean, we've all heard the stories. I don't want to turn this into like, oh, look at what it used to be versus what it is now because if Notre Dame goes nine and three next year, everyone's going to want Marcus's, Marcus fired probably because that's just the nature of fandom. But there's, there was always a sense, and I've heard it from people in Louisiana even now, like there, there's, there was a sense of like the head coach cannot be that accessible or shouldn't be that accessible. Like, Oh, like you're, you're interested in Notre Dame. Good. Like we're really good. Like, like you should, like, we don't need to bow down to you. Like, you know, you should be privileged to have the opportunity to come here. And yeah, I've been told, you know, like people in Louisiana, like it's still not an open door policy quite yet with Brian Kelly, like and with recruits and stuff, there's still channels you need to go in where at, or go through. Whereas again, Marcus Freeman, we just gave you a million examples of, how active he is with players are pursuing, how active he is with the alumni, how active he was in the hours after the spring game, just hosting people in his office. Um, again, he spoke to the, like the chamber of commerce in South bend j- just yesterday. Um, so yeah, he's, he is all over the place. Like he's yeah. The accessibility, not saying no, eventually that will change. Um, but I don't, I mean, there are, the any, guy, there are, I could tell you this for, for, private conversations with people who know him and I'm sure you have as well. Like there's not been one F you moment that you described no. for Brian Kelly. Not one. No. It has been even privately. Holy crap. I get to wear a Notre Dame polo to work every day. I'm the CEO of the biggest brand in college football. Like there's nothing we can't do here. And now that doesn't mean there can't be facility enhancements down the line. doesn't mean they can't get better in a number of different areas, but like he is truly all in on, Notre Dame, the power of Notre Dame, and maximizing that power in a way that, frankly, has been maximized. And again, we've said this a million times when Brian Kelly was a coach. This is a team that's an annual playoff contender despite not having the best recruiting operation in the world, despite not having the best facilities in the world, and despite, at least with the last staff, making every excuse to us publicly about why they can't do certain things. Now, like they have much of the same infrastructure and same roster with a staff and a leader who is embracing all of that. I'm fascinated to see how far they can go. Uh, yeah, it's he definitely is sort of involved in just sort of whatever he can be around Notre Dame. I think he's speaking to like uh, Asian Heritage Group in the Asian Studies Department this afternoon. Um, that's Brian Kelly would not do that for many reasons, but I just don't think that he he was like as verse and like trying to immerse himself in campus. I think Marcus is just has this like. Um, this is maybe where he reminds me a little bit of Clark Lee, just this voracious appetite to learn. Um, and, you know, maybe he's not reading eight books at a time like Clark Lee did, but like he is so eager to figure out every part of Notre Dame and sort of get a handle on, all right, okay, the different academic silos here or, um, you know, the different parts of the department. How do you get things done? How do I, how do I meet people? I, I mean, some of this is like, how do I get somebody to help me in the football program down the road? But I just think he's he's a sort of a collector of relationships. Um, and I think that's that's an important personality trait that will serve you well around Notre Dame because everyone, not everyone, but there's so many parts at Notre Dame that like feel like they're they're the center of campus. Like you have to go meet them on their terms, on their turf. And I think Marcus has done a really good job of that so far. Yeah. And again, just like 
the minute they lose Ohio State or lose their first game or whatever, everyone's going to be laughing at us saying, like, how's nice working out for you? But, like, Brian Kelly did take over a completely different Notre Dame program and had to play the bad guy. Much like Nick Saban did his yes. first year at Alabama. Like, they were hired to essentially break down a broken powerhouse that studs and rebuild it back up and to different levels. Both those coaches did just that at Alabama and Notre Dame. And now I think with fresh blood in there and that kind of appetite, there is a chance for this place to go so much further. Um, I have one other thing I want to transition to, but before that I'm curious, the May 1st portal deadline is coming up this weekend. I expect it to be filled with a lot of people um, around college football, just as step charts, essentially take shape post-spring. I haven't heard anything at least noteworthy out of Notre Dame about people who may be on the move. Have you heard anything different? Are you expecting to see any names pop up in that portal this weekend? Uh, I think that there will be some. I don't know who exactly, but I, I've heard that like there will be some that depart. I do, but I don't like, – it's not going to be Drew Pine. Right. Um, you know, I, I don't expect it to be like a front front-line player. But, there, I mean, look, there are – there are they have positions where they have more bodies than they have reps to go around, and I I would get it if somebody would look around. So, um, but I don't think it's going to be a mass exodus, and I would I would think like the guys that would depart would be similar to the guys who departed the last four or five years. It's I have eligibility remaining. I can leave with my degree, um, and I want to go play. And at that point, like you've you kind of earned the right air quotes to to go make your own decision. So I, I would expect there would be, a, you know, a couple of those. We can't let this podcast uh, go on without cheersing and pouring one out for the, the late, great Mark Emmert, NCAA president, favorite <laughs> son of Indiana and Notre Dame, especially after uh, 2016. <laughs> what took so long? But, what will you miss most about the Mark Emmert era in Indianapolis? Uh, the NCAA basketball tournament weight room. Um, that will be just a a talk about the a wrong person at the wrong time. Um, you know, there are some leaders meet the moment, and some are just like completely incapacitated by it. Um, Mark Emmert was definitely the latter. A very dark. Frankly, a, a really dark era for NCAA athletics, based on where things are moving forward with NIL um, and how stable or in, unstable everything is. So, it's, you're more tied into the administrative side. I'm sure you have some anecdotes or opinions secondhand from ads across the country. But I just, I'm trying to think of like one good thing, and I can't. I mean, <laughs> wow, that was a pretty dark ending. Can you? I mean, his final public appearance, the Kansas City Jayhawks, who probably will vacate that or would have vacated that title or have been ineligible for it if the NCAA enforcement staff had any teeth whatsoever, considering there are people currently serving prison time as a part of the, the, the Adidas scandal. But that's a fitting final act publicly for Mark Emmert. I, I will say there are people, including those at Notre Dame, I've, I've talked to privately, who insist he's an incredibly intelligent human being. Um, he's just really bad publicly and has a habit of stepping in it and saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. That said, I hadn't seen any of that myself, nor did you. Um, I remember when the Notre Dame academic impropriety scandal was, was essentially being litigated behind closed doors. Okay, that thing yeah. started, so it came out in the summer of 14. Resolution, August of 14, ruling, uh, either late July or early August. It was August, yeah, it was during camp. A ruling came down 
USC week in 2016, which was like one more Correct. kick in the you know what after four and eight, and then the only four and seven at that point. Four, I'm sorry, only four and seven. <laughs> yeah, they could have qualified for uh, a bowl game at five and seven maybe. Um, and then spring of 18 was when the um, appeal of that was finally ruled not happening. Um, and I remember talking to someone at Notre Dame. I don't remember what time it was. It was in the middle of all that before any ruling had come down. Um, and it was essentially, we don't think we deserve any special treatment here by any stretch of the imagination, but we've been incredibly cooperative. You know, we have an athletic director who is extremely close ties to everyone in Indianapolis, um, where the NCAA is located. Uh, and is very plugged in with that world. Like if we're going through this for something as minor as what we're accused of doing and we're cooperating like God bless anyone else going through anything similar with the NCA right now, because it's just, I mean, the FBI literally did their work for them and they still haven't done anything with Louisville or Kansas or, or any of the, the men's basketball programs that were under investigation. So it was just one, one faux pas after another, um, you know, in another era, I'd say Jack Swarbrick would be the perfect guy to go clean up that mess and, run the NCA, but right now I, I just don't even know what that job will look like. I don't even know if there will be an NCA X number of years from now. Um, I, if you're good at your job or, or well regarded at your job, I, I don't know why you would want to take that. I mean, it's, it's it, Mark Emmert at the end was going to pay nearly $3 million a year to essentially be the public tackling dummy for school presidents who for the most part are pretty detached from reality when it comes to, to big time college athletics. I mean, the guy got extended a year ago today for four years and they announced it at the bottom of a news release, the way you'd see like the transaction wire in newspapers, like Chris Childs resigns with the Knicks for one year. Like that was like essentially how the NCA promoted. And I, that was in the middle. You mentioned the, the basketball weight room. That was in the middle of the, the audit and the review of equity between the men's and women's basketball program. And I remember speaking to someone on the women's committee when that happened and everyone was apoplectic when it happened, when Mark Emmerich accented, but I remember speaking to someone on the women's committee and it was like, can you say F you to us any louder? Like, like, like seriously, <laughs> like you say you're committed to change and you want to get to the bottom of it and you assume zero responsibility and then get a four year contract extension in the middle of this investigation, which is not going to exonerate you if done properly. So, uh, you know, I'm surprised it took this long. I'm surprised he's getting as much of a runway, retirement runway, as he is. I believe summer of 2020. Or forget what month. That was 20- at the latest. Right. But they're going to take their sweet time trying to figure out who who will eventually run this thing. I, I don't – I mean, I don't. I wrote a candidate's column today. It's mostly um, school presidents because those are the, the real um, – people moving the strings when it comes to, to, to colleges in general. I mean, I think if you're a conference commissioner, you probably have more power right now than you would as an NCAA president and probably wouldn't want to go after that job unless you really think you can change things. I mean, I, I can't, I don't know who's going to be. I mean, there are a lot of powerful people at Notre Dame degrees in different levels of, of academia and athletics. So it wouldn't surprise me if we see a familiar face up there at some point in the next year or two, but it's been real, Mark. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it goes back to you mentioned Pat Forty was here and he sat down with Sorbrook and talked about basically the the breaking point between where sort of Power Five and the rest of college athletics are. I mean, it really is, I think, 
will be the legacy of Mark Emmert that he, he tried to hold on with fingernails scratching across to like a very outdated model that was outdated when he took the job and was essentially a bad comedy act by the end of it. Um, you needed someone with vision and forward thought. Uh, Mark Emmert offered neither of those things uh, in terms of where things could go. And that it will create the mess for the next person to man or woman to, to try to clean up, which is, which is unfortunate. It just, I mean, I sort of look at it. There is, there are some things that came down the pipe that you couldn't have seen coming and you adapt and adjust, mm-hmm. but so much, especially with NIL, just like he, he got, just, he got up in DC in fall of 2019, not that long ago at a lead one convention and told every athletic director in the country, NIL is an existential threat to college sports. And he essentially got laughed out of the room. It's yeah, it it's sad that someone leading college athletics would have that perspective and be that reactive um, and obstinate. Frankly, how much uh, money, time, legal fees, etc., did they spend trying to fight the inevitable, keep the toothpaste from coming out of the bottle? Like it, it's and there's no going back now. It's right. Yeah, I mean, you had you had a chance to set the rules for how that toothpaste came out, and instead you're just like, ah, I'll just shoot it all over the mirror. Who cares? Uh, like you just, it's sad um, because you can't go back on some of these things. You had you had a chance to help shape the rules for the next generation of college athletics, and instead you sort of sat by and and let everyone else do your work for you. And then you, the NCAA, assuming it is a thing anymore, um, and look, the NCAA serves the a good purpose for. Olympic sports for championship events for for yeah. minority and female opportunities. They do a good basketball tournament. They do a great basketball tournament. Congress doesn't care anymore. Like they've essentially said, you're a business. And once that is ruled, watch what happens. I mean, Jack Swarbrick said to SI, and, and again, if this is what people want. It's fine. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but you're gonna have the only two sports that make money on campuses break off and do their own thing, and every other scholarship athlete is going to be out of luck. Like all the, all the non basketball and football sports are just going to disappear and turn into club sports. Like I don't see yeah, a path I think the where subsidies those are saved right those. now. Yeah. No, that, that is, um, it's, I think it's a, a fair and honor, a fair warning, uh, that goes out over this, that all the, like, and I mean, we can have a conversation on a different podcast about like, whether those sports should be subsidized by football sure. and basketball anyway. Uh, but if you're Notre no Dame, you're winning national in champions and championships in soccer and fencing. Um, you're making the college world series in baseball. Like you're broad based. I mean, football obviously pays the bills, but like a lot of those big 10 schools as well. Like they're yep. a lot more than football as far as their success. No doubt. No doubt. This episode is supported by FX's clipped. The scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Um... Where football is a business and we're all okay with it is the NFL, yes. uh, which the draft th- is Thursday night. And, man, it just really sneaks up on you. There's not enough pre-draft coverage. <laughs> um, Kyle Hamilton undoubtedly will go Thursday to where? I don't know. Um, 
I don't know if any of the mock drafts make any more sense to you than others about Hamilton's ultimate destination. What what say you, Matt Fortuna, mock draft per, prognosticator here on uh, Wednesday afternoon? I mean, I've never, I can't recall a draft where there have been what five different betting favorites to go number one, mm-hmm. and as late as this week, I think any five of them could theoretically be drafted first. Uh, I'll throw it back at you and do an over under. With, with all the guys Notre Dame are going to have coming in. I just want to make, make sure that Kyle Hamilton's still over under his nine and a half as it was last week uh, to be picked. But we'll go with that for now. Where, where do you think? I, th- I think that he will go under that so earlier. I think that he will go in the top nine. Um, I don't – I just think that at, at the end of the night, somebody's going to be like, you know what? This is a elite unicorn type of football player that can help my team right now. Um, and it's a year where there's not a bunch of quarterbacks that you ha- that you don't need to talk yourself into. Pretty much every quarterback in this draft, you have to convince yourself to take. Um, so that moves Hamilton up a little bit. So I think he goes in the top 10. Uh, you know what? It's actually now 11 and a half. Oh, Free, it's free money, people. Um, he will well, go in the, the top juice, The juice is big. Uh, 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 the juice is big on over. I'm sorry. On over, it's minus 145. On under, it's plus 110. So, yeah, t- take the under. Um, free money. Don't blame me. Pete's the one who said free money. But <laughs> uh, I, I will take the under. Jack Cohn, what round? Mm, sixth. That, that's what I think as well. Um, Kyron Williams, what round? Sixth. Wow, I got him fourth. I think, I think he's gonna. I think it's just like it's a kind of a disposable position. Yeah. Uh, great college player. Theo Riddick went in the sixth round. Had a really good pro career. I, I could see Kyron Williams having something similar. I, I get that, and there's been a lot of that out there as far as the measurables. You know, for lack of a better term, haven't been there, and it's running back. I do think though that's a guy. We've said this a million times. You get him in a room, he's going to win you over, and it only takes one GM out of 32 to say earlier than that, you know what, we got to get this guy. He's going to make our room better. Um, so I'll say fourth. Um, I'm writing all this down, by the way, just so we can come back to it next week. Uh, Kevin Austin. Fourth. I think that he'll be the second Notre Dame player taken. Uh, I just think that the – He's an easy guy to talk yourself into from a measurables point of view. And I think as much as there is some concern about, oh, off the field, the suspension, the injuries, I think sometimes a Notre Dame off the field problem is more palatable than a insert school X off the field problem. So I don't think Kevin Austin's off the field stuff is going to be uh, enough to really turn an NFL team off. What'd you say? Fourth? Fourth. I'll go third. I'm, I'm with you. I, I, third? I think, yeah. I thought I was going to be the most optimistic on Kevin Austin. I, I'm optimistic on is... him for all the reasons you just said. At the end of the day, he's a good okay. football player and he'll make a team better. Um, Myron Tongavailobosa, does he get drafted? And if so, where? No, I think that's. I think Jim just has the four picked um, Hamilton, Austin. Williams, Cone in that order. Just four draft picks this year. I'll go seventh. All right. I mean, I like the guy. 
It's fantastic. He's, he's versatile. Great interview. Um, he's a great interview. Solid citizen. I mean, I I could see him on a roster for a couple years. Oh, well, that's the thing. You get to that point, it's cheaper to just and easier to right not draft him and sign him later. That's true. I mean, but it's. I also would say like you compare him to Isaac Rochelle, who I pretty sure went in the seventh round is still kicking around in the mm-hmm. league i think he's it will be a sixth year pro if i'm not mistaken um i would i'd like rochelle more as a pro prospect than tagovailoa mosa in terms of the measurables so we'll it's it's kind of hard to see i feel like tagovailoa mosa in some ways might be like a tweener but like not in the good version of it sure. whereas rochelle was a tweener but it was a more of a compliment so we're in agreement on Cone. I'm higher on Kyron. I'm, I'm higher on everybody. Um, I'm higher on Kyron. I'm higher on Kevin Austin. I'm higher on MTA. And we're in agreement on Kyle Hamilton. That, that's going to be, well, for Notre Dame purposes, that's going to be the most exciting and interesting part of the first round. Uh, but really, I mean, I think because of the, the lack of clarity and lack of definition, and frankly, I mean, who knows? The Jaguars could, could trade this pick for all intents and purposes. Like, yep. It could get really wild if you're um and it's in vegas so if you want to go there and you can do it on your phone right now with BetMGM, um you could have some fun and lose a lot of money very quickly um if you're in friend of the of podcast thing, uh tim murray can hook you up on that it's, yes. uh, that's, how I got my, that's how i got my ben skoranek will he catch a pass in the super bowl bet in in time did you get your ch- did, did the i i believe that i've Venmo, uh, Venmo paid out on that one. So, uh, that was maybe we can do a, li- a live pod, uh, $10. Um, so I believe that, uh, maybe we'll do a, a live podcast in Vegas around, uh, the BYU game this year. If we can uh, figure out a way to make that work. And you're buying, I mean, $10. It's, oh, that's like half a beer out there. <laughs> that can go a long, long way in Vegas. So it, as long as you just keep betting it and winning. So should be should be no problem at all. So I don't know. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on uh, before we head out of here um, into the off season? We will be doing a live room. Um, I don't know if we could do that next week sometime. Um, we'll be together we, next week. We, we will be gathering. We can do a live room together, perhaps from uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, from our uh, athletic college football summit. Should be a good time. You shouldn't have said where we're going because now they're going to get PTSD to the the Fiesta Bowl. <laughs> It's a company we'll summit. It happens to be there. Looking forward to seeing Pete again and all of our other colleagues, and we will be podcasting from there at some point. Definitely, definitely. So on that note, we're going to wrap up this episode of The Shamrock. He's Matt. I'm Pete. Thanks, as always, for being with us. We will, we'll be back again soon, and we'll get that live room scheduled uh, so we can be with you in more of an audio format. So until then, thanks for being with us on the latest episode of The Shamrock.